right, everyone. How you doing? Um, Sergio from the Dodgeball Podcast. And here with me, I have, I guess, my first OG from Arizona. Uh, Nate, how you doing, man? I'm doing great, man. Doing really good. So I first I first saw Nate play. Or the first footage I saw Nate playing was the Elite Eight back in 2012 uh, for Headhunters. Um, sick jerseys with yellow, yellow, uh, yellow print but they had like voodoo dolls on them uh, whoever designed that uh props because that was really sick that you guys came up with that <laughs> so uh, let's get some of the preliminaries out of the way um nate uh what's your jersey number and why why'd you pick it my jersey number is is five i um you know i never actually thought about this until you asked me about that um i was a big george brett fan i'm from kansas city and oh. i was a big george brett fan growing up and uh, he was number five and when I grew up I played baseball and uh, it kind of immediately that's just what I chose and from then on I'm not really a superstitious guy but when you feel like something clicks with you just grab onto it and um, number five stuck with me and, and I've used it all growing up oh so you're you're from Kansas City yeah you're, you're from uh, Tucson or Phoenix no I am uh, I'm from Kansas City I moved out to uh, to Phoenix in 2006. Oh, wow. So yeah. right around when dodgeball kind of started over there. Yep, pretty much. Uh, they had been going for a little bit before I got into it. I didn't get into it until about um, 2009. That's when I started playing. So outside of Headhunters, what other teams uh, will we best know you for? Ooh, you know, uh, right before – Right before uh, Brian and I started Headhunters, I was playing with Rampage. That would be the the big name that you would know me from, other than Headhunters. And you were you a part of that uh, the World Championship team in 2010? So no, they. Um, I played with them. Let's see, we did when they first started up, and I could be wrong on this because I'm horrible with my my dates. I started <laughs> playing in 2009. Um, they added us on to play, and I believe they had two different teams that played uh, in 2010. I played co-ed for them the year that they won. And then I played with a team called Seven Deadly Sins for okay. men's. And then the next year, they kind of – Rampage made two teams. And, my man, my dates could be wrong, but they made two, two men's teams, and I played on – no, it was co-ed. Yeah, we played co-ed with them, and then after that, we made head honors for 2011. Yeah, um, that's another throwback team, uh, Seven Deadly Sins. Um, <laughs> yeah. Jeez. Uh, I've got a lot of stories about that team, actually, because um, that is actually how I got into playing dodgeball, was the the guy that coached, that, that was the lead of Seven Deadly Sins. I, I work with him. Um, I'm a UPS driver. And he actually got me into playing dodgeball. Um, I grew up playing soccer, baseball. And then when I got into high school, the, the tryouts were so insane for really for both of those sports that I had played tennis all growing up, but never played it competitive. And so I actually played tennis all through high school. Um, so I was a sports nut. I loved sports. Came out here. Uh, I was playing softball. And he kind of knew through work that I was a sports guy, but he kept bugging me to play 
dodgeball to come out and play. And at that time, I, w- I had no interest whatsoever. Um, <laughs> anybody that knows, his name is Troy Sumrall. He is a very persistent guy. And <laughs> he loved one thing I really admire about Troy. Shout out to Troy is that uh, he would take brand new guys and bring them onto his team all the time. That was like his motto. He would bring three vets in and then he would try to grab as many brand new guys as he could to introduce them to the sport. And I love that about him. And I really think that he, I took that mentality a lot with, with the way that I ran things going up with headhunters and, and other teams going through. Um, finally, one day we were at work and he goes, Hey, I want you to at least watch a video. They record every match. Just sit down, watch the video while you're doing something. I was like, all right. So I had it on uh, way back in the day. I had a desktop. I don't, I don't have any computer anymore, but I had a desktop and I was sitting there watching. And uh, <laughs> of all people, it was Joe Fernandez was on the screen. And Joe uh, pulls back. It's an eight, 8.5 league, 8.5 league. He pulls back and just lights this dude up. And literally the guy went off, the, off his feet and landed on his back. And I had just happened to look up when it happened. It was a whole match. And that was like the one thing I remember seeing. I paused it. I texted him. I said, dude, I'm in. I just watched this video. <laughs> I saw a dude just be elevated off his feet. I'm in. I'm ready to go. And um, so then me and Brian, I don't know if you knew, Brian Arman is from Kansas City as well. Actually, we, no, I didn't. Yeah, we were from the same small town in Kansas City. And um we grew up friends. We worked together back after high school. We grew up friends and he moved out here just before I did probably like three or four months before I did. So I called Brian and I'm like, Brian, I got a new sport for us to try out. I think you're going to like it. Uh, my buddy Troy has a team. He always, you know, he wants new, new guys on the team. Uh, do you want to play? He's like, yeah, let's, let's go. So uh, that's actually how I got into playing dodgeball. And I was able to pull Brian into playing at the same time. It's funny you mentioned Brian because whenever I think headhunters, I mean, I, I always see the roster kind of change up a bit throughout the time, throughout the years, yeah. but yeah. I always see you two as a consistent, like, mainstay of that team. Like, you guys are the pillars of that team. And yep. um, it, I, I look at that like, you know, Shaq and Kobe, Magic Kareem, um, Pat Mahomes, Tyreek Hill. It's just like you guys are just – you guys are synergistic together. There's like, I never see one without the other. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and we, we, you know, I think part of the cool thing about that was that he and I are so opposite of players. He's an arm. He's a, he can catch too, but he's the arm. Right. And I was the catch. I was the catcher. And so when we would go to recruit, he was able to pull guys from a different category that I could pull guys from. And, and so, we would go out and we'd talk to people and, you know, it always helped having Brian on the team as the arm to be able to go, look, we already have one arm. We need a couple more arms. And then whenever we were going after catchers, we could say, Hey, we've already got a catcher. We just need a couple more catchers. And we really tried to, to blend the team and make it even across. That was kind of something we always tried to do. Uh, yeah. I mean, it shows in a lot of the, the rosters you've had in the past as, as well as the chemistry you guys often share. Um, any funny Brian Armand stories, uh, you like to share, whether it be road trip stories, um, after dodgeball stories, or even a tournament, funny tournament, uh, moments you had with Brian. Brian was always the driver for road trips. Always. He, um, 
he would always be the one driving. And I can't tell you how many times we went to California and we'd both have to work like the next day. So we would, we would be hightailing it back to, to get ready for work. And uh, Vegas specifically, I remember was a tough one because we would go to, to NDL and um, we'd come back. And when, when you're in Vegas, dude, you don't sleep at all. So he'd be driving and I'm, you know, I'm falling asleep in, in the side. Well, my mentality is always like, you know, I know he's as tired as I am. So he would be driving, I'd be asleep. And out of nowhere, I would like whip my body over and look at him and go, are you okay? And I would scare him every time I did it because I'd be in a dead sleep and then freak him out. Um, one time we were driving home from California and you know, those signs on the side of the road that always say, watch out for falling rocks. Right. It actually, we had, we hit a storm where we hit, we were going through the hills and we literally hit boulders that were coming down off of the hill. And uh, we always said, we've never seen that before, but Brian literally was just whizzing in and out of out of all those rocks i'll never forget that but he was always the driver for those trips and and i definitely appreciate appreciate that but he went fast and furious on those things huh oh yeah yeah he was good with that brian (laughs) was always anybody that knows brian i'll tell you dude that guy is fiery he's a fiery guy but off the court he is um, one of the most chill compassionate cares about everybody guys you'll ever meet and i think that was one of the cool things about him was um he's competitive he's a competitive guy on the court anybody will tell you that um he's had plenty of of confrontations slash run-ins but the cool part is as soon as he would get off the court everybody was good everybody was chill um i thought that was always cool about him that, that he could uh, mend things, but if it wasn't even mending and it was, if it's just competitive that he always would, would be cool with that after and, and, um, call people when they needed it and ask how they're doing. And he would be there for anybody in a heartbeat. And, uh, that's something I'll always remember about Brian. Yeah. Uh, I'd have to agree. Um, it's funny how you mentioned that he was very fiery, very competitive. Cause I remember my first tournament was, uh, 2013 dodgeball 10k ironically enough where I met Steve where I met you and our yeah. first game was against you guys and you guys had super Dave uh, as a as a guest player yeah. and I just remember I, I don't remember what play happened or what ha- or or what went wrong but Brian was upset about a either a no call or a call or something mm-hmm. and I was like oh crap I've seen this on camera <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who he's mad at, but he's mad at one of us rookies. Um, <laughs> but then after the game, I mean, you guys beat us 2-0. Um, but after the game, he, 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 I remember he, he shook my hand. And you guys, you did too. You know, he shook my hand and he was like, hey, you know, keep your head up. That was really good. And I'm like, okay, that went from zero to 60 in no time. Yeah. <laughs> he, he's a really cool dude. And then I found out he's, in, he's an old school, like retro gamer. Uh, yeah. So I'm like – coming from a video game nerd like myself that was extra bonus he's really chill really chill off the court like sometimes um he would message me randomly just to see how i'm doing so i can attest to that he really does care about people yeah he's a good dude (laughs) so uh let's let's get into your beginning so you said you started playing baseball you started playing uh soccer um Mm -hmm. you you mentioned tennis as well 
Yep. Tennis is my, if you asked what my prime sport was, it would be tennis. Um, my grandma taught me how to play when I was five. I grew up uh, hitting with her until I was big enough that she couldn't play as much anymore. And so I started taking lessons, got in, um, I played varsity in all four years of high school. Um, I had a scholarship to, to play in college. Um, I ended up deciding to get married instead. I had gotten married two weeks after I turned 20, was married for almost 10 years. Yeah, it's crazy. But, uh, wow. but yeah, I played tennis all throughout there. And uh, I've actually gotten back into it again. I, I've been playing a lot more competitive lately. I'm planning on um, doing some tournaments actually this, this fall. So I'm excited for that. Oh, nice. I, I, I would imagine tennis is like one of the few sports that you can still do despite the current pandemic status of, um, of the world that we're yeah. in now. And that's kind of one reason why I got back into it. Uh, you know, dodgeball wasn't being played. Um, it, it was a good time for me to get back into training again. Uh, it keeps you in good shape, which is, which is great. Um, the cool part about the sports that I play, especially mainly baseball and tennis is there's so many similarities between what you have to do in those sports and dodgeball that it was really helpful coming into the game to kind of have that background of those things. Being able to read the ball right out of the hand was um, a big, a big one of what helped a lot with the previous sports that I played. So you would say um, softball and uh, tennis were like the best sports to translate for you uh, into dodgeball. Definitely. Like when, uh, when I would actually go looking for new people to play dodgeball, I'd go, um, I'd mainly go, go to my softball realm and look for people that played infield, uh, especially third and short the reaction time that you need to be able to, to field from those positions uh, fit in perfectly with dodgeball, especially with being a catcher. Um, if you can find someone that plays third or short, their reaction time usually is, is spot on and it, it doesn't take them long to pick up the, the timing or the distance at all with the competitive, which is cool. Um, okay. Now that you mentioned it, um, we both know Dylan. We both know Isidro. Do you know what positions they play in uh, softball? Um, Dylan plays outfield. Dylan plays outfield. Um, now, Dylan, funny story about Dylan. So I met Dylan at Open Gym way back. And uh, it was a foam Open Gym. He hadn't played at all. He was just messing around at Open Gym. And um, that was one of the big spots that I would go to to try to not even necessarily for my own team, but just get new people into playing dodgeball uh, in the leagues. And we were out kind of, I don't know if you know geographically Phoenix very well, but Chandler's kind of the east of it, about 20, 20 minutes or so east of, of Phoenix. And we played in Tempe. So it was about a 20-minute drive from the open gym to where we played league. And I went up to Dylan and I go, Dill, I go, dude, you would be really good at this, at this dodgeball league. I think you would fit in really well. And it was funny because we were just talking about this the other day. Um, he goes, you know, you were the first person to, to invite me to play dodgeball. He goes, and my first thought was, why would I drive all the way over there to Phoenix just to play dodgeball from here? He didn't want to play. And finally, uh, finally, he ended up getting on with uh, JJ had, had kind of formed a team of 
JJ and Jordan formed a team just for a, for free agents. They both were looking to, to get in and JJ signed up and was like, you know, add a couple guys and Dylan, uh, Randy and Joseph, those three played with him that season. That was their first season. It was, it was awesome. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> so we got you to blame for, uh, uh, Dylan, uh, being in Dodgewell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. And, and the funny part was the, if you ask him the first season he played in was 8.5, which is the one he hates the most. He hates it. I really though, though it wasn't uh NDO. It was Phoenix dodgeball. That was the first one he played in. NDO was right after that. So he played one season of 8.5. Got his. <laughs> and then uh, Santi got him into playing foam. And that's where he, he fell in love with foam from there. Yeah, um, I always gotta, I always gotta clown uh, Dylan because he's a Giants fan. So anytime I get that opportunity, he's just gonna hear it going forward. Uh, <laughs> but oh, I can't yeah. imagine him playing uh, eight point five right off the bat. That's actually, I mean, now you can imagine it because he's, he, you know, he's played it for a lot longer. But I always I figured think he his... just was used to getting his ass. That's what scared him away from playing it was he was just horrible. <laughs> <laughs> no, he. Uh, real quick, I do. I'm gonna take a, a side note for a second. Yeah, he asked a question. He said, what's it feel like to be the oldest active player competitively in Phoenix? I did not know I was the oldest. And I asked him about it. I said, am I really the oldest one? And he said, you know, I went back. I was, I was thinking and looking at it. And yes, you are the oldest player. Um, so <laughs> to answer that question, it feels great. Because it feels great to know that I can take six months off and still go in there and whoop the time I want to. That feels really good. And it feels really good to see him on the sidelines when the old fart is still in on the other side. That makes me feel good. So there's my answer to that. <laughs> you went straight to that. That's actually kind of funny. Yeah. Um, I'm just thinking, like, I, not to say that I know Phoenix and, and, and Tucson like that, but I do know, like, a lot of the old school players. I'm just thinking, like, are you really the oldest? So what about – Tristan Pinier, what about um, uh, Tobia, uh, Dylan Tobia? What about like how old? I'm pretty old, how sure old I'm they? older than them. I think they're a couple years younger than me. Pretty <laughs> sure. I'm 38. Just turned 38. Oh wow! You look good for 38. I did not Thank think you. that. I thought I honestly thought we were about the same age to be honest. And I'm 34. Yeah. If Brian, <laughs> if Brian was still playing active, he'd be older. He'd be the oldest, but but he's not. So. Yeah. So you got the title. I get the title. It's the only <laughs> thing lately that I'll be having the title to. I have a feeling. <laughs> well, that and uh, being a Kansas City fan with the Super Bowl ring. Yes. Yeah. How does that I'll, feel? I'll take that. It feels good. It feels good. <laughs> you know, we went through a long period of time where we had sucky, sucky teams. So it's kind of time. It's time. It's our time now, which is nice. So um, I don't know if you heard my interview with uh, Cameron Parkey uh, a couple months ago. Uh, for anyone who wants to listen to it, it's in the archives of season five. Um, but we kind of, we I kind of joked with him saying that he kind of looked like Pat Pat Mahomes, mm -hmm. and I kind of <laughs> dubbed him the Pat Mahomes of uh, dodgeball. That's awesome. Some of the freakish athleticism I've seen that boy do, um, it, it's it's right up there. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's funny you say that. So I just saw Cam 
in a video facing off against Dylan one-on-one. Did you see that the other day? Okay. I saw that. Yeah. I actually saw that this morning. Yeah. Yeah. If he wants to be the Pat Mahomes, he's got to work on those skills a little bit more because that was not Pat Mahomes material at all. I don't (laughs) want to see Dylan smirking, turning around, acting like he didn't do anything. Like that's yeah. Cam, Cam, I need a little bit better video before I can (laughs) say you're Pat Mahomes. You're, you're excellent. I love you, but uh, I can't call you Pat Mahomes until you at least get him out once in that series for sure. Man, the gauntlet has been thrown and the bar is set pretty high there, Cam. Hope you <laughs> listen. <laughs> so um, how would you describe, do you remember what your first competitive tournament was and how that experience was? So when I first started, I actually didn't even play league first. The very first thing that I did was Troy got me into a random draw tournament. That's that was my very first time ever playing dodgeball. And um, I'm trying to remember who I played with the first time. Um, I want to say Chad Landrum might have been on that that team, that first one. Uh, I know I played with Sarah Moravitz. This is a few just Phoenix names that some of you might know. Sarah Moravitz was on the team. Um, Ryan Anderson was who him and Ed founded phoenix dodgeball ed was on my random draw team too uh so i had a lot of a lot of vets on that team so it was really cool to to be able to come in not have any idea what i was doing at all and i remember multiple times where it was just fast pace going on and i would lean over and just ask okay what do you want me to do now what 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 do you need to be (laughs) what, what, what do i need to be doing right now and then by that time you know everything had changed so i needed to ask it again I mean, that's how fast it was going first time playing. Um, but after that one, I want to say, uh, I want to say Grand Canyon uh, State Games was the first uh, first competitive tournament after that that I played in. I got a really good story about that, by the way. So <laughs> <laughs> I was playing. I was playing what, with what Rampage. Year, what year was that? that your first was, one. So that had to be 2010. Cause I just started with, with rampage and um, the way they kind of did that team was uh, Bill would, Bill would uh, kind of just designate you onto a team. I mean, the, he was like, okay, I'm going to have you guys play on, you guys are team a, you guys are team B. And so let's just say I was on team a, so we're playing and I had never met the Cali teams before that. I think I met a couple people that came down for that, uh, that random draw tournament that I was telling you about, but I didn't know any names or anything, but rise rise has always been uh, the, you know, the model the you know, the model team that, that at that time, everybody was talking about, you know, you're going to meet this team rise. They're really good. They played together a really long time. Um, They can be intimidating. You know, there was a lot of talk about that as a new guy, you know, it just felt amplified. Um, of, oh, you know, so they're the ones you got to watch for. And so Brian's playing with Rampage. He was on the opposite team that I was on. So Brian and them are playing and they're playing Rise. And Justin Payan had, I was immediately impressed with his arm. And I will say this, to this day, he has probably been, my kryptonite as far as overall his throw 
was always the one I had trouble with. I never could catch it. Um, the arm angle, the way he was, I have always admired him from day one, just the way he played, loved it. Uh, anyway, so I was watching that match and specifically was watching him. And that was the first time I had seen him and he pulls back and he just lights up one of our girls right in the face. And she is brand new to competitive dodgeball. (laughs) What he didn't know was that her dad was right there on the sideline against the wall and saw the whole thing. Now, if she's brand new to competitive, then he really has never seen competitive dodgeball before. He didn't understand this kind of happens. It's normal. And you know how hard Pyan throws. So he pulls back and he throws and just lights her up in the face. Well, natural for anybody, you get hit in the face, you know, your hands go over your face. You know, you, you put your head down, you, you collect yourself. Well, to him, it looked like she just got murdered. I mean, he was a huge dude. He was bigger <laughs> than bigger than Brian was. He was huge. Well, Brian, I think, immediately realized what was going on. And the the dad just starts charging uh Pian. and he i if i remember right and and like i said i was brand new so i think it was elevated but i swear he was ready to murder Pian. he was full force <laughs> throwing out everything he could at Pian. so brian who's also pretty new and doesn't know anybody stands in between them and is kind of holding this dude back and you know how big brian is like this guy was bowling over Brian as well. And it, it took his daughter kind of coming up and running over and saying, dad, I'm fine. This is normal. This is normal for him to back off. But I would love to hear what Pine remembers from that, because I remember that vividly. You had asked me about any memories I have that one stands out over everything. Um, she, she literally looked like she got murdered to, to him. That was fantastic. Well, a couple things to break down. Uh, one, yes, Pine does not hold back. He will light you up any which way he can. Yeah, I, mm-hmm. I unless it's open gym, if it's a competitive environment, you're there. You're you're easy or easy prey or or fair game, mm-hmm. fair game, I should say. And so that part I understand. Uh, number two, I was actually told about this story. I think Pine actually alluded to his story um, <laughs> during his interview in season three. If, if I remember correctly, and he he looks back on it and he was like, if I remember correctly, I'm gonna have to re-listen to the episode. He looks back on it now and kind of like was blown away because, mm-hmm. yeah, to anyone who knows Brian and even Pian, I mean, it, not too many people can outsize those two. Like they're, right. they're pretty they're pretty big. But apparently this guy, he for lack huge. of a better phrase, was like Brock Lesnar. I mean, he dwarfed over yeah. these guys. Yeah, easily. That That's a perfect example. Uh, that's what I remember. And and if I remember right, he kind of had that, like, the, the dad had, like, that biker vibe, that Harley vibe. Like, he, I, I want to say he was, like, even wearing the bandana and just, he was huge, huge dude. <laughs> yeah, apparently, um, the other part of this story I, that I know, and I think it's from Justin's interview or just from people talking about it, was that Brian even though he never showed it, admitted to Justin that for a split second, he was afraid that he was going to kill them both. <laughs> yes. I'm pretty sure Brian would openly admit that. And I feel like maybe he has even said that himself multiple times, uh, <laughs> especially being brand new. Like when you're brand new to, to 
to a sport, especially a tournament, because that was our first pretty much competitive tournament, if I remember oh, right. Uh, you're you're brand new yourself. So, you know, somebody gets hit in the face, you, you're kind of wondering, does it always get this crazy when someone gets hit in the face? And Brian, especially because he was a thrower, was probably wondering, shoot, now, am, you know, is another dad going to come after me if, <laughs> if I light, light up a chick in the face? So, yeah, there was there was a lot going on in that one. That's for sure. <laughs> so safe to assume um, everyone, everyone involved in this story looks back on it with laughter, but to yeah. everyone involved minus the dad, there was an element of fear shared across. A hundred percent. And I got to say um, for, for anyone who don't know, uh, cause now we have premier and we had elite for a long time. Uh, the grand Canyon state games were one of the few competitive tournaments, at least out in the West coast that you would mark on your calendar if you really wanted to play every year. Uh, mm -hmm. Wait, how often did you get, was it a biannual or an annual event? Uh, biannual. I want to say it was um, winter and spring. Okay. So you guys, yeah. Okay. So for, it, for tw twice a year, if you wanted to go to a competitive tournament outside of NDL and outside of the Detroit cup, if you're into foam, this was a tournament you had to be to face the best the, in the country at the time. And rise yeah. was, known to steal your medals because i think they're the only team that's ever won right yeah i think you're or right. they've won the most mm -hmm. yep and uh that was the big thing uh, about rampage rampage was here's the thing and and i'm kind of probably breaking off so i apologize but uh when i started i was impressed especially with the group from tucson that came up steve Chris Bell, Mason. Um, it always seemed like if you would look at it, if you would look at it as a major league baseball team. So you had like their prime group, but it always felt like they had an excellent farm team. And that's how I've kind of always looked at, at, at the good dodgeball groups, the good dodgeball cities is the competitive guys were great, but it, it seemed like they always built talent that would come up behind them. And Tucson was the prime for that in my opinion and they would they would have guys that would drive up from tucson to phoenix which if you don't know the geographics of that it's it's over an hour away and they would drive up every week to play and there would be weeks in league where they wouldn't have everybody couldn't make it right which is normal with every league right and mm -hmm. so whenever they wouldn't have a full team they would bring up their quote unquote farm team guys that weren't competitive and wouldn't travel and they fit in perfectly. I mean, they were guys that you would turn around if you were the other teams and go, Hey, can you make this every week? Cause we would love to, you know, put you <laughs> onto our team. That's one thing I'll always uh, remember about, about Tucson was their, their group was solid. They had quality. In fact, a lot of those guys, ended up playing with headhunters. I mean, you had Doug and Justin Acton, who at the time when I first started wasn't coming up during that time. Um, both of those guys played with us full time there for a while, especially at the beginning. Um, when we had the elite eight of, of elite, they were, they were prime on our team. They were two of the, of the mainstays on our headhunter team. Yeah. Um, I don't know who, who mentioned it before, but someone always, uh... Someone have, has mentioned it to me, not, not in that analogy, but that for whatever reason or however it went down, 
Tucson always had talent behind talent behind talent. And, and that's Steve. That's Steve. Steve <laughs> did such a good job of uh, running leagues and open gyms down there and having creative ideas, creative ways of getting people in and keeping people in and making sure that um, open gyms and league fees weren't expensive. Like he, man, he was one of the main reasons why Phoenix had such good quality talent. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you poach some of the Tucson players to play for you, then that says something. Yeah. I mean, it seemed like every team from Arizona had at least two or three Tucson players. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and that's when team evil, you know, Steve always wanted all Tucson guys on a team. Like they had such good talent. And the hard part was that other teams, um, you know, rampage headhunters, I'm probably missing one other team, but we would try to take those guys to play with us. And Steve had always said, you know, if I could get everybody just to be organized and, you know, be able to afford it, that keep in mind at that time, you know, Chris, all those guys were all young. And so being able to afford trips all the time wasn't, wasn't easy. Um, When team evil played together, they were dangerous. They were a dangerous, dangerous team. And uh, I know that was one of Steve's pride and joys was when Team Evil would, would be able to play together because they were very good, very good team. Yeah, I think the um, it, it seemed like that every 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 tournament that they were in, I they always finished in the top five, at least every tournament that I can recall them being in, mm-hmm. either top five or winning it. Yeah, they, they were consistently there, and maybe I guess you could say the one knock on them was they didn't have the militant discipline mm-hmm. environment that uh, Rise had, and they were just yeah. a bunch of young kids, but they were dangerous. Yeah, it like, was they one were of dangerous. those teams that just it was one of those teams that wasn't uh, what is the word I'm looking for? Is it's they, they weren't they didn't have like a game plan that they'd stick to like rise had a game plan. You know, they'd go in, they knew exactly what they were doing with evil. They would have a game plan, but they would divert from it really fast. Um, It seemed like if a couple of the guys if Chris Bell and Mason were on, then it was like, okay, do your thing. You know, it was very hard to go against them and know what their plan was because their plan changed frequently. You know, it was just a fast-paced fire-on group that was really difficult to to figure out at times. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, I could definitely recall that my first time playing against them. It there was something about the way they played that was way more intense than what I saw on YouTube and stuff like that. Um, going back to remembering the 2013 Dodgeball 10K out in Orange County, it, it, they played with they played with violence. I'm just going to cut it mm-hmm. cut it to the trade. They they played violent in that every throw was intended to not get you out but knock you out the court. Yeah. Like every throw was a statement that to be made. Every catch was a was a momentum swing for that. like it, it was just like they were playing on I mean, I'd argue still that if they were together they'd be playing on another level now. Mhm. Um yeah, they, and you know, and I think that mentality 
was a lot of, of how Headhunters was made. Um, I loved their gameplay. I loved the way they were. They were intimidating. Um, Mason was so intimidating back in the day. I mean, if you played with him every week in league, he was insane. Dude was a monster. You know, I'll give you a story about him. We actually traveled down to Tucson to play in. Uh, we did like a, a Tucson versus Phoenix night where we had all of our competitive players from Phoenix go down to Tucson to play against all of their players. It was amazing. It was so fun. And Mason was going up against Brian. And I know Brian will remember this. I think Mason <laughs> will too. But Mason was known to like, he would be real animated. And then he'd throw from under his legs or he'd throw from behind his back. Uh, he never had, and it was hard. I'm telling you like 60 miles an hour hard, like it, it from behind his back or between his legs, it was scary. And uh, Brian got caught with looking at the motions and Brian looked up at the, at his high arm where he was at. When he looked up, Mason went between his legs and threw a riser from where his between his legs were up and it hit Brian right in the throat. Brian dropped so fast, held his throat, went down, couldn't breathe, but Mason was deadly. He was deadly. I mean, he had so many different ways of throwing so many tough, difficult throws. He got so many people out. He kind of reminds me of, you know, how Sean Anderson would go up to the line and he'd he'll pull up big time like he's gonna those two actually look a lot alike it's really scary sometimes (laughs) Uh, when we played in that last headhunter tournament when those two were by each other they kind of look a lot alike and it's kind of funny because they play a lot alike as well but sean anderson (laughs) would go up to the line and he'd pull back and act like he's gonna throw as someone was running backwards and they just run out the back line he didn't even have to throw um mason had that same quality and technique where he didn't even have to be on target. He threw so hard. A lot of people would just fall out of bounds from just trying to get as much space as they could and they'd fall out. Um, <laughs> yeah, he was just, yeah. So back to what I was saying with the headhunters, that mentality, I, I really believe when we came up with the name headhunters, uh, we were going for that, that same type of mentality of scary, you know, just a headhunter in dodgeball is someone that throws at your head. You know, it's someone that aims high and we kind of went for that approach. That's where the, you know, the, the kind of creepy jerseys came with the shrunken heads. We actually, the first season we had two shrunken heads that we bought um, that we would hold in for pictures. Like if we won any medals, we'd have those that we no would by the hair. Yeah. The <laughs> hair was super long on them. We'd hold them on the side. But that was the mentality that we that we went for was when we get on the court, we we want that scary, that intimidating atmosphere. And honestly, I think that's part of Brian's um, competitive, intimidating fire was that he wanted to intimidate you on the court. And uh, I, I feel like he did that a lot of times. Sometimes he <laughs> he would <laughs> take it a little too far. You know, he would you'd get fiery and, and not settle back down until it was done. But that's why when you would go after the game and shake his hand everything was good that was part of his game plan his mentality yeah um so so we we have to credit uh brian for the shrunken heads design um i think we uh, we all kind of talked about it i came up with the headhunter name and from there brian and and i all just kind of 
went through and said, what, what could we do? You know, what would be different than, than what normal people do? We had even talked about, you know, wearing masks and doing, I mean, keep in mind, JJ was on the team at that time too. He was one of the originals. And so JJ's super into Halloween and graphics on your face and all that stuff. So <laughs> we had some trippy ideas, man. I mean, we had talked that we made the team right before that next NDL season. And so we had talked about, you know, when we want to go in there, we want to make a statement. We, we chose, we were doing two uniform, two uniform colors at the time. We had the yellow and we had the green. So we started the first day with green. And then the second day we switched to the, the yellow at the time. That wasn't common for people that have more colored jerseys, but we just wanted to get our name out there. You know, we were brand new to dodgeball in our own and we wanted to, you know, make a statement. I safe to assume you definitely did. Um, and then that, it kind of strikes me that if Brian would look for any intimidating advantage. I feel <laughs> like if, and this, this just popped in my head. I feel if if Brian learned the Haka, he would have everyone on the team do the Haka before a game just to intimidate. hundred percent. He would he's just any, any kind of mental edge. And, and I'm starting to see this more and more, any kind of mental edge he can have to induce fear. He would. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, for anyone who doesn't know, um, Shank, uh, Shank is also a behemoth. He's just like, he's just going to hit you from between the legs. I can't even throw that 60-mile-an-hour yeah. foam overhand. He does it between the legs, behind the back, flicked it over his head like a skyhook. Like, I've seen With that throw. With an 8.5. With an 8.5. That's the crazy part. Uh, I wonder how his shoulder – I wonder if he has any shoulder problems. He does. Um, he did, And that's why he hadn't played. He stopped playing for that reason. Uh, we were – really lucky to get him for this last comeback season of headhunters um he hadn't played in so long that he was worried about if his shoulder would be fine um he came to a couple open gyms and keep in mind he didn't really play he didn't play when catch played they didn't play together very much no. um, i could be wrong on that but i'm pretty sure they didn't really play much against each other and so when we went to open gyms it was really cool to see those two go up against each other. And uh, when we actually were in nationals, we took crisis to game seven in elimination. Oh, and wow. one of the games, I want to say it was six. Pretty sure it was number six. Cause they beat us in seven. They beat us in the seventh. The sixth one, guess what the head to head matchup was. Shank and catch him. Yeah. They were the last two and Shank got him. And Shank, from what Steve told me, afterwards um you know me and steve talked quite a bit um and and he texted me and said just want you to know that that made mason's whole tournament going up against ketchum he goes i think it just made mason feel like he still has it you know like he still that competitive fire came back in him that he hadn't seen in a while which was really it was a cool moment it was really cool and ketchum is that guy has improved so much even since since he started it, it was really cool to see those two go up against each other <laughs> um do you uh do you, do you know uh, have that clip um, that clip i don't think they recorded that match. <sighs> i don't think they recorded that match if i well, remember yeah. right there was one cell phone camera that got like a game and a half of that and nobody got it on. I was so bummed because I have not seen any 
footage of that. I'll have to go back and see if Steve would know better than me, but I'm pretty sure nobody, nobody caught that one. Oh, I, you know what? You'd be right. Because I feel like if Steve, because this is something that I know me and Steve kind of talked about if Ketchum and Shank were to go against each other. Mm-hmm. I know yeah. if he had the footage, he would share it with me. If I had the footage, I would share it with him. Yeah. So it's safe to assume he didn't record it or otherwise he's been holding out on me for three years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll have to go back, but I'm pretty sure we've talked about that and, and it wasn't, it wasn't recorded. So uh, you mentioned, um, and this is before we get into the crowdsource questions. Um, you mentioned that uh, headhunters had her had their like um, how do I say their curtain call season in uh, 2019. Yeah. Um, how did it feel to get the band back together uh, one more time, and what was the purpose behind that? It felt good. Um, it's kind of funny because Dylan. You know, he jokes about me being the oldest. It feels good to still be able to to keep up. I'm not I'm not great. I'm not the best. I can't keep up with a lot of the throwers, right? But it feels good to be able to play competitive still, even at the age that I'm at. And at the time, I knew a lot of those guys that we had brought back from head to headhunters would feel the exact same way because they all can compete. Brian can still compete. Mason could still compete. Um, man, it's, it's slipping my mind who else we had in that. I know Jordan played with us. Jordan played. Uh, JJ played with us. And JJ, JJ is a, a, he's a different character. He is a um, very competitive guy as well. I was really impressed overall with how JJ was at that tournament. He uh, understood that this was a special, it was special. It was something special that we were able to do. And I feel like we all were able to live it up. We were able to just soak it in and go, hey, we can compete still with the best of the best. And that crisis, the crisis match definitely proved that. I mean, uh, we were able to keep up with them. I know we made them nervous. I know we did. And, uh, <laughs> Boy, that one, if, if you had asked me which one I'd want back out of everything, I wish we could have won that one. That would have been pretty awesome. Uh, yeah, it would have been. But the fact that you guys forced a game seven against the eventual finalists, this was an 8.5 division, right? Yeah. Yeah, in a division that you guys would thrive in, that many people might have overlooked you guys as being like the best in the past, but not today. But you guys, you guys stuck it out. Um, that whole season led to that moment. And if anything I could say for everyone involved, for anyone who's retired and anyone who's continues to play, that's a good thing to hang your hat on to, yeah. to go that far against a top four team in the country, not even in the region, in the country. Yeah. And it's, it's one of those things where when you get older and you see all these young guys coming in, I know I can't keep up with these guys. I can't compete with these guys like the younger can. Um, there's so many good arms. There's so much talent. The lines are closer now. I feel like they're even closer than they used to be. Um, <laughs> but when you get to that point, you kind of change your mentality as a coach or as someone that's putting together a captain, someone that's putting together a team of, we want to go in there and just cause problems. We want to cause problems for people. You know, we, we want to make sure you know you, that we're here that you're not going to have an easy road all the way through. And I feel like that was kind of the mentality of 
headhunters coming in and, and playing was, yeah, you got your top four and your top six that are always up there. But our goal is to try to make it a little difficult for you. And so playing crisis in that moment and getting them to game seven was our, that was our Super Bowl. I mean, that's what we wanted to do. Of course you, you want to win it. You want to win it all, but just making teams know that, yeah, we're old, but we're still here. That, that felt good. It really did. <laughs> uh, yeah. That's definitely a, a Cinderella story. If anything, um, I don't know. Are you familiar with the movie, the replacements? Yes. Love that movie. So I'm kind of blanking out who this character, who this actor was, but everyone on the replacements football team had a certain reason why they wanted to be on the team. Mm-hmm. Like Shane Falco wanted to redeem himself from his collegiate failures. But there was this one guy on the team, I think he was a deacon, who wanted to just score a touchdown just to know that he can. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, granted, granted, you guys didn't break a leg or anything, not that I know of, but you guys had that one touchdown, that one moment that you can say, you know what? I did that. That's what I yeah. wanted. <laughs> yeah. And it, and it's funny because and I know Dylan's just given a hard time about that. And and I, I love bantering with him. We have that kind of relationship. But it's funny because when he gets older, when he gets to our age and he's playing and stuff, he's going to know what this feels like. It's <laughs> kind of one of those things where <laughs> you 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 can play, you can still compete. But there's this realisticness about it that you got to have the right pieces together if you really think you're going to win. And um, you want to win, but you also just want to be a thorn in some of those young teams side. Ask him, you know what? In fact, I'm I'm going back to kind of talking trash, but Mm -hmm. ask him about new breed. The second time they tried to get into UDC. That's a perfect example of what I'm talking about. They (laughs) thought they had it easy. They went into the tournament, the play in tournament to go and, uh, Ask him what happened. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Um, the playing tournament. So there was this, this isn't a qualifier. This is to get in. This is to get in. They needed okay. to win this tournament. To go to, to Vegas. To go back to Vegas. Okay. Ask I'm him what go. happened. Yeah. <laughs> this, this is probably going to be in the, in the comment section after this gets posted. <laughs> oh, no. I'll ask him and then I'll post it on Friday and see what he says. <laughs> perfect. That's perfect. Um, did you have any role models growing up? Role models growing up. That's a good question. You know, know your grandmother, when you played uh, tennis. Yeah. So I grew up, um, without a dad figure pretty much. I was the man in the house growing up. And so I learned fast, right? I just, I, I matured fast. I had sisters, all sisters. I grew up really quick. Um, sports wise, my grandma was awesome teaching me how to play tennis, sticking with me on that. But my mom had the biggest work ethic I've ever seen in my life. And, um, she taught me my work ethic. I hope I can teach my kids the same work work ethic. Um, but she also was an incredible athlete. Um, she would catch for me while I was practicing my pitching. Uh, even when I'd throw extra hard she would stand in there and and practice with me so definitely would say that she was my role model growing up uh anyone in dodgeball you would say that um not not so much that you look up to but to respect man that's a long list man um 
<laughs> I would say, wow, there's so many. There's so many. The, the thing is about looking up and respecting. There's so many different pieces that I'll take from someone that I want to to um, build my own character around. If, if I would say someone that had a mentally strong game, Chad Landrum comes to mind with that. Do you know Chad? Yeah, I know, uh, I know Chad. Or, yeah, or I know. know. Okay. So yeah. Chad, Chad was able to, he would play, and the harder things got, the more difficult he was to play against. It was scary. It was one of those things where, like, when you'd piss him off, there was a whole nother level of – of, comp uh, of competitiveness that would come out of him. Uh, I definitely loved his mental, his mental game was, was crazy with that because it, it made it to the point where if you were on the other side and I had kind of told you that, you know, our mentality was to be intimidating and Brian would, you know, be aggressive. But when we would play Chad, there was a point where you would have to tell Brian, don't trigger that competitiveness with him. Like don't piss him off. <laughs> keep him, keep him where he's at, but don't, don't let it go over because then you're getting crazy Chad and crazy Chad <laughs> would go crazy. So, um, especially when, when we started, he was one of the guys, the vets that played on our little Troy's free agent team. So he immediately, he sticks out to me because Chad was an awesome mentor to look up, up to with that. Um, but then, I mean, you say that, and then I, th I think of Steve with the way that he was a leader and the way he ran things in Tucson. Um, he's definitely, you know, on my list of, of mentors and people that, that I want to take pieces of their character and build it into mine. <laughs> yeah, uh, actually, I do know Chad. Um, he's also another uh, gamer nerd, uh, along with uh, Brian yes. Armand, for people yeah, who don't know. Uh, Chad is also, is there something about Arizona and you guys being behemoths over there is ridiculous because he's also <laughs> kind of tanky. He also yeah. played on Riot. He also played on Rise. Um, and I remember in 2018, all the, he, he played on Rise for round three because I think Tyler injured him, injured his back. I think he replaced yeah. him, uh, if I remember correctly. And I remember going up to Chad um, prior to the captain's meeting and me, I like to think I like to poke the bear a little bit with mm -hmm. him. Like I'm not, I'm not afraid of, of Chad, but I know what he can do. But it's also kind of funny because I do it in a, a more humorous way. Mm -hmm. I, I don't try to antagonize him, but I try to antagonize him and make him laugh. And once it was my team against Rise, and he threw and missed three throws, and I was like, you know, the younger Chad would have hit me. I kept, <laughs> I, I kept goading him on like the younger Chad would have hit me. And even though Rise would have won, like. Even though Rise ended up winning, um, once we like shook hands and everything, before we you know went to our rough assignments or whatever it was after the round robin, uh, I, I shook his hand again and I was like, you know, if you were younger, you would have hit me. That's awesome. <laughs> just poking the bear a little bit, just poking the bear, like just letting him know, yeah, yeah, I'm still here, I'm not afraid. Um, That's great. <laughs> with Steve, yeah, I couldn't find too many leaders that I would put on that. Um, what I call the Mount Rushmore of, of dodgeball as far as leadership goes. Um, he's cultivated something out there in Tucson that 
some would say the effects are, are, are still felt to this day. Um, for sure. Pandemic or not. Uh, and this is coming from someone on the outside looking in. I feel like without what, without the work he did in Tucson, there probably would be no Phoenix dodgeball. There would be no NDO or uh, Cactus because that revolution trickled down year after year. Yeah, well, even think about with the Phoenix League, the bringing those guys up just showed a ton. To be able to, to – I, I still look back on that time of them driving an hour just to play dodgeball and go back home. I mean, it took up their whole day to do that, you know, and they would come up and, and do that. And that's Steve. He would, he was so organized. He'd make sure everybody was ready to go and would be there. And if they weren't, he was going to pull from his other guys that play down there that, that don't normally play with us. Just that level of leadership is not easy. It's not easy to herd a team that's local, let alone a team that lives an hour away. And then to be able to, pull other people and make sure they're in that takes a lot of work takes a lot of work week after week let alone to run your own league down there in tucson so he did a ton man (laughs) yeah definitely something to acknowledge there um did you have any pregame rituals before any tournament um you know what funny story for you i don't know if you knew this actually so uh my (laughs) My throw is sidearm with A5. Yeah, you, you, you cup it. Yeah, I cup it. But yeah. the reason I cupped it, the reason I, I did that was that when I first started playing, I would get so nervous that my hands were sweaty. And so I could not grip <laughs> the ball. And it wasn't because of anything other than my hands would get slick. And so I had just kind of self-taught how to, grab it, cup it, and pinch with my fingers against my wrist and just hold it in there and throw a sidearm. Well, as the years would go on, I would start to, you know, work on, you know, throwing overhand. I wasn't as nervous, so my hands weren't as sweaty. So I would sit there. It was funny because my pregame ritual was actually just to just to make sure everything on my body was dry at the beginning just so that my <laughs> hands wouldn't sweat as bad but that was the only pregame ritual i had was you know making sure my knee pads were good my, my shorts were good everything was good just so that i had something to dry my hands off with <laughs> i always noticed that and i never thought anything of it i just thought it was like okay this is just how he throws i mean he can't probably overthrow it like you know Brian Armand or Chad or, or, or Shank. So this is just his way of being effective. I didn't think there was any other reason other than just to calm your nerves. And that's what you taught. Yep. That was, that was the only reason why I did sidearm was because there were a lot of times in the first season and even through that I would grab a ball and throw it and I'd pull back and it would slide out my hand right as I I was pulling (laughs) forward. And so I was like, this obviously isn't working. Um, I got to go sidearm with it. How about any pregame music uh, that you listen to? Any jams that'll get you going? Honestly, I love everything. I love everything. There wasn't a specific uh, jam for me at all. I would just turn on something and whatever was on would would click for me. I was not ever, uh, I got to listen to this song or this type of music before I played. (laughs) I'm boring like that. Sorry. (laughs) There's no, no good answer there. 
I mean, I mean, it is what it is. I don't think it's boring. I think it's, I would say you have musical diversity, if yeah. anything. Yeah. <laughs> that's fair. That's all. That's fair to say. Um, so let's get into some of these crowdsource questions. I know you answered this one, uh, Dylan Clark Odin, being the troll and Giants fan that he is. Mm-hmm. How does it feel to be the oldest active player in AZ? And you say pretty good? Yeah. Yeah, it's just great. <laughs> and I want to get into the comments. I'll wait to the interview day to respond to this one. You already know the answer. Mm-hmm. So he, and he, I'm pretty sure I covered this one already. I, I uh, used a lot of time on this one already. Too much time. <laughs> it's all good. Um, I got to find out what football team. Uh, no, he pro- he's a 49ers fan. Never mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, how mm-hmm. will you cope with Ask the long him how that? Ask him how that went, too. <laughs> how would you cope with the long stretch of bad season to come with case comfort KC since they overpaid for Mahomes? Now, before you mention anything, I will say they did not overpay for Mahomes. No, I, I, I think you, I mean, granted, I didn't think they were going to pay him that much, but if I could pay someone that much to be as dynamic as he is for 10 plus years, I would do it. <laughs> yep. And there, there wasn't a cap hit to it. There was no cap hit to that. Which there is, is no cap very hit. Very different so. than the Josh Josh Allen deal that just went through for almost the same amount. <laughs> so Brett Cobble, another KC native, uh, you love may him. or may not know. Oh um, yeah, I love him. <laughs> Shut your whore mouth, Nate Evans. <laughs> thank you, Kyle. I, I don't know who who's Kyle agreeing with. Maybe Dylan. He's not I wrong. I think he's agree. Yeah, I think he's agreeing with with uh, Dylan. But I would like to just since he can't answer for for us now, say that he is. Um, agreeing that Dylan has a whore mouth. <laughs> oh man! Oh, if anything, season five. Uh, anytime Dylan gets mentioned, I gotta troll him. Um, <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> we also have a similar uh, relationship, just trolling each other. Oh yeah. Um, so you're this one I, I threw in, and you already mentioned the near deadly showdown between Pyan and the biker Brock Lesnar father figure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> was there any other highlights that uh, come to mind I from the Grand just, Canyon State game? I should have just uh, waited and, and said that one here. I kind of forgot that you were going to ask that question later. But um, <laughs> Grand Canyon games is missed. I'm going to I'm gonna kind of change direction on that. You asked if there's anything I remember. It's missed. Yeah. We miss okay. it. Um. I'm going to answer your your question of is there anything I remember by elaborating a little bit and saying I miss the old days. I miss the old days of smaller competitive tournaments. Um, I think I feel like the tournaments are great now competitive wise, but I feel like it gets the meaning of, of a competitive tournament gets lost sometimes now than it did back then. Um, we were, there weren't a ton of teams everywhere. It was very uh, connected. You, when, when people would come in, you, you looked forward to seeing them, but it wasn't even just looking forward to seeing them, but you just felt like this close, close knit group. And I know we talk about dodgeball family and we have this big family now, but it doesn't feel the same now going to those tournaments as it did back in the day. I miss that old school classic. You knew who was going to be there. It was a, it was a, um, 
close knit group. And I kind of miss that now. Like it's, it's great going now, but sometimes I feel like people expect so much out of these big tournaments. They expect all of the hoopla and the, all these different things now that, that weren't there before. All you were going there to do was to get with close friends that you hadn't seen for a while. And you knew it was going to be competitive on the court, but you knew every team that was there and there weren't 40 teams. There were eight to 10. So it didn't need a huge gym that had 12 courts where you couldn't see everybody most of the day. Now you go to those tournaments and there's times where you don't see anybody. Women's will be going on on court 12, all the way on the other side of a 10,000 square foot building. And then you don't see them all day, but these old school tournaments had one gym, three courts where it was so well planned out where you could play. And then if women's was going on, you could walk over to their court two over and support the women that play. And I miss that. I miss those tighter, closer tournaments um, from back in the day that, that you could really do that. You're not the first person that brought that to my attention. Uh, you might be the first person on the podcast to bring that up, but you're not the first person to mention that to me. Um, I think in the scale of dodgeball, where we are generation-wise, I would say, I I would say I'm the because I came in around 2010. Mm -hmm. I would safely assume I'm more towards generation two than I am towards the current generation, which would be generation three. Mm -hmm. um, I agree. With, I agree with that. Because I feel like the players who started back in Tucson in 04 or in LA in 04 or whatever, there was a sense of like, you didn't know whether the tournament was going to be five teams, six teams or whatever, or if the tournament was going to take place. But the fact mm -hmm. that you heard about the tournament, you would just grab up, you know, five to six of your closest buddies in a church van or whatever, and make that trip to Tucson or San Diego or wherever you were going for four or six hours. And if anything, there's something that and I do agree with that. Not to say that I've experienced it. I haven't. I feel like when I walked in, the product itself was being more and more polished. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like people like you and in generation one, um, I would say, which also would include Steve and Shank, that there is a sense of nostalgia that's missed. And that because people are coming into the sport now, they don't realize what it was like back in 2010 and before yeah. they don't realize the high price fees or the high, the high registration fees or, you know, what, the, what, it, what Grand Canyon state games means, you know, yeah. people only knew of elite people only knew of premier. And that was that back then there wasn't a national tournament. It was just right. NDL in September or October. And if you think back on those tournaments, like a lot of people, complain about NDL and rightfully so with that but but the reason people paid all that money wasn't for anything more than to see the family to see all the people and to compete with the best but you knew that like there was just there, there was a reason why people paid those fees and sometimes I think people just focus on the negatives of those things. But to think about those times that, that we had, like Hawaii had teams come down, you know, there were special 
there was something special about that tournament that, yeah, the fees sucked. They sucked really bad. And I can't believe we paid those at times, <laughs> but we didn't pay those necessarily for the quality of what the place looked like or the quality of the food. We paid those because we knew that our friends were going to be there. And I think a lot of people forget that aspect of it and they just focus on the negatives. There's a lot of negatives, but there's a lot of negatives to a lot of different things. If you just look back and you think about why we went, it was because the best of the best were there. And because we looked at them as, as our family, as our dodgeball family. I think that gets missed a lot. Yeah. Um, I definitely agree. Uh, I remember and hopefully in, Next year, hopefully, when Steve comes back from deployment, he'll uh, – and this is me kind of just throwing it out in the wind um, – bring back the OG series to mm-hmm. kind of remind people that. Um, kind of remind them, like, hey, you know, we're coming into a polished product, albeit after a pandemic, but this is what it was like before. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, the fees sucked and everything, but there was something to be said about the NDL that everyone went to that I, that I spoke with that pretty much highlighted everything you said that there was a sense of family there that you pretty much all, you know, everyone had a blast. Everyone wanted to compete against each other. But when it came down to the negatives, you all just grit your teeth and bear it because you guys were having a good time with each other. It was something you all shared. Um, Several NDL stories. I'm sure people have um, apparently (laughs) Joe Colella asking how much do the winners get when the prize money was pulled at the end of whatever captain's meeting, I think it was. Um, someone stealing the safe box or something. I don't know. I mean, I I wasn't there, but there's a lot of stories. I'm pretty sure you can recall it more than I can, but these just kind of come to mind when, when I talk to people who were were there during that time. But um, yeah, I would have to agree. There's something lost um, between your generation and what the current product is. And not to say that I have an answer, but in the very least identifying the, the problem can lead to a solution down the road. For sure. And, you know, to tag on to that, Mark would definitely be another mentor on there for me. He, the way that he organized tournaments back then when he started Elite um, was not easy. It wasn't easy. You had a blowback from the NDL. You had blowback from other, I, I'll keep them unnamed, mm-hmm. uh, organizations. I'll never forget this specific organization, one of their owners. Keep in mind, I don't have many people at all, at all, that I have problems with or don't like. Um, There's very, very, very few that I have a problem with. And that's kind of been one of my mentalities is to just be cool with everybody. You know, there's no reason to, to... have oh I don't like that guy or I don't like this guy you know and um right so I was to go back to what I was saying you know I was talking with one of the organizers of this other league and tournament group and they were so mad at Mark at the time for for wanting to do elite they're like this is bad for the sport it's a horrible idea it's going to fall on its face don't get involved this was right as we were connect signing on with elite as one of the teams committing to doing it they were like don't do it you know don't get your name involved in that don't do this and i remember 
after the first few elites, it just, the pressure from other organizations was there on him. And he handled that so well at the time. And when everything kind of started really growing and then you added the East and you added all these different regions, I remember going up to Mark and, and telling him that story and saying, dude, I'm just proud of you. I'm proud of you for letting the noise be in the background and doing what you felt you wanted to do and what you felt was something that you had a passion about. And he's definitely a mentor to me. Uh, eventually down the road when I'm done playing, which is coming sooner than later, um, <laughs> I would really like to get into running tournaments. And so when you ask who a mentor is for me, I definitely need to add him onto that list because like I told you, there's different people that I pull different things from, for my own character and my own play style and uh, character wise with Mark, the way that he believed in something, believed in a product and did it no matter what other people were saying that that was, that stuck with me for sure. Yeah. Uh, I'll definitely agree. Um, I didn't know too much about what he went through, but I, I did know he, he went through a lot to accomplish what he would eventually see come to fruition. And even though me and him often joke around a lot, you know, which has got to be the remedy of my, my friendship, I guess, now thinking about it, me and Chad joking around, me and Dylan joking around, me and now Mark. Um, <laughs> so I guess if, if I pick on you, I guess we're cool, I guess. Um, <laughs> there, there is an amount of, amount of respect that I have for him that's very, very few people I share with. Like he, he, he's up there as far as one of the people I do respect in more ways than one. Um, all right. <laughs> so you kind of hinted at um, you're closer to the end of your playing career versus the beginning. Um, so I'm going to ask you the question I've been asking everyone in season five, um, the legacy question. So Nate Evans of Headhunters and a variety of other teams, how would you like to be remembered once you play your final game? I kind of already hit on this a little bit, but I want to be someone that people can say that, that they got along with me, somebody that got along with everybody. I think that's important. Um, people talk about it being a dodgeball family. I, I want to make sure that everybody is a part of that family. There's no reason to have squabbles and drama and things like that. Um, I've had a lot of different things happen drama wise during playing dodgeball, but I've got forgiveness too for those things. And um, I don't know if it's just, a maturity thing or, or what, but I want to be someone that everybody can say they got along with. And um, secondly, the, a big part of that is I want to be someone that was always known for trying to bring the new people up to build them up. If there's a new team out there uh, to be the one giving them tips, giving them advice, showing them different things that they could do right or different things that they could work on. Um, encouraging the people when I go to open gyms to come try out league. Um, you know, Dylan was one of them, Rachel Rodia. I brought her on to head hunters and um, brought her in as well. And, and her and I have talked about that a lot too, of uh, just being there to, to 
teach and show support and Brian even, you know, calling him, telling him to come check it out. I want to be known as someone that tried to build the sport to grow it. You know, we're, we're all going to get my age at some point. <laughs> so if we all, if we all get in and, and bring in new people and show them how to play and show them character and show them humbleness and show them uh, forgiveness and apologizing. And, you know, we're, we're not perfect. None of us are perfect. We've all made mistakes. We've all gotten upset on the court, but how do you handle it after you get off the court? How do you fix the problem? And uh, that's what I want to be known as. Oh yeah. You know, you know, Nate had a couple brush ups, but he went and talked to them about it or he went and fixed it. And that's what I want to be known as just someone that was supportive of everybody and tried to build and bring everybody close together, you know? Uh, a couple things to touch on. Um, I know we mentioned it earlier that Steve had like a farm system out in Tucson mm -hmm. where it seemed like there was just talent behind talent behind talent in some ways, actually in more ways than I liked it than you probably would believe. I think you also took that from Steve and you might not realize it. And when you mentioned you brought up uh, Dylan and Rodia, those two players would end up going to um, winning gold medals and national championships. If that doesn't add to the sport, I don't know what does. Um, you've definitely brought on a lot of uh, talent and those two just to come to mind. Um, second, I would say you're, you are pretty chill. Like if I were to sit here and say, okay, how do I discern Brian and Nate Brian, at least on the court, could be intense, but Nate is always chill. Like you never, you never show your tail, so to speak. You never, you never show your hand. Like you're always like even keel. I would, I would even venture as to say you balance Brian out. Um, so there's, there's definitely that. You definitely have that trait. Um, your maturity is pretty evident. Uh, growing up in a single parent household, I can't imagine how that feels like. Uh, I consider myself lucky to have it two two loving parents who raised me for as long as they did and i'm gonna say this right now you are a, a prime example of not just maturity uh but a solid father um i know you you do a lot for your kids and you work hard and you know even though that in itself is not dodgeball related that should also be highlighted because i don't believe you know it, it's highlighted enough you're a great father in the dodgeball community and you're just a great father overall. I really um, appreciate that, man. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> you, you really are. And um, I'm sure you're going to have some funny moments as a parent <laughs> that you haven't shared. And I'm pretty sure there's going to be some moments that'll bring some prideful tears to your eyes, but there's only a handful of people in this dodgeball community that know what that feels like. And those are fathers and you're one of them, a prime example of a great one and an OG in the Arizona community and, pretty much the country as a whole. I appreciate and, uh, that, man. <laughs> yeah, no problem. So I would say it's, it, it's an honor to, to have this platform to help immortalize your story to not only, you know, highlight what dodgeball was back in the past and maybe bridge it forward, but you know, just to, just to give an OG their props and, and you are that <laughs> you are Thank that you. man. Thank you. I appreciate that. And um, thanks for, for doing what you're doing with, with these podcasts and, and um, 
you know, I know Steve was doing them before and, and when he had to, had to go away, you step right in and, and you have been amazing with these. So I appreciate you for, for everything that you're doing. And, um, you know, speaking to Steve, <laughs> I really been thinking about him a lot, especially just with everything going on with different countries as well. Um, we're thinking about you, Steve, praying for you and uh, hoping that you're, you're safe and protected. Same. Um, I'm all, I'm always like, there's not a single, up, there's not a single recording or a time where I prep for this podcast that I'm not thinking about him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, this is the platform that I'm trying to help expand globally for him. And um, I, I'm just going to say it now I'm going to edit it in post, but I don't, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, uh, I'm trying to make this a bigger stage for when he returns. That's awesome. Um, yeah. Awesome. It just, <laughs> and plus who knows um, he might listen to this episode Friday or two months down the road. I don't know how internet works over there, but I hope when he hears your story, he's going to laugh and, and chuckle and be like, why didn't you mention this? Why didn't you mention that? <laughs> which, which hopefully we have a, a, a second, a second uh, interview talk where we can, talk about those things because there is so much stuff and honestly i have the worst memory when it comes to a lot of stuff back in the day until someone brings it up as soon as someone brings something up then i just talk for hours on it <laughs> so here's my plan proposal and i know steve whenever you hear this you're definitely going to hear it from me after we're done recording i would love to to moderate an, an arizona og podcast where we'll have Nate, uh, Chad, or, or Shank, and you on. And you guys, I just sit in the background, and you guys just talk about whatever <laughs> funny old-school stories you guys have. And I'll just kind of moderate it There's here. So and much. I'll be a silent partner in the background just so we can get some, like, just to really highlight the, the environment that Tucson Phoenix had. <laughs> yeah, that would be awesome. That would be something for season six. I would look forward to That'd be the one episode where I would just be like, you know what? Let me just hit record. Let me just pick a person and you guys just start talking and we'll go from there. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Thinking of you, Steve, hopefully you're, hope you're safe and send the stage for a grand return for you. <laughs> and we will wrap. And that was my interview with Nate Evans. Thank you so much for hopping on and sharing with us your dodgeball story, as well as, the honor of immortalizing an OG in Arizona and the dodgeball community as a whole. Uh, that was definitely a solid interview and um, looking to do, looking to add more OGs for the season, regardless where they're from. Um, so if you listened up until this point, thank you so much. And Steve, we're thinking about you, man. Take care.